Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might rescue us from this present evil world according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That portion of God's word which we consider this morning, the Holy Spirit caused the evangelist Matthew to write for our comfort and our learning. And those who, and these, will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Let us pray. O God, our maker, redeemer, and comforter, we are assembled in your presence to hear your holy word. We pray you so to open our hearts by your Holy Spirit, that we may be taught to repent of our sins, to believe on Jesus in life and in death, and to grow day by day in grace and holiness. Hear us for Christ's sake. Amen. The scoffers are here. Have you noticed? Scoff is to mock. It is to turn away and roll your eyes. They scoff at the judgment. They scoff at the teaching that the one who made us and all heaven and earth and provides us with all that we need to support this body and life will judge them for their sin. Let none among us think that anything will be hidden. Let none among us think that we will have gotten away with anything. There is nothing hidden that will not be revealed. And the hearts of all of us are open and known right now to the God who gave us our hearts to love him and love our neighbor. But that doesn't stop the scoffers. They don't know of the everlasting kingdom which has no end. They know only of short earthly power and pleasure and treasure. And so they scoff. They scoff at you when you don't join them in their wickedness. They scoff at you when you tell them, don't behave that way, it's bad. They scoff and make a law to make it legal. As if the governments of men can set aside the truth of God. The scoffers are here. You see them every day. And there have always been scoffers, but they are now here in these last days. These are the last days because Christ has done all that the Father promised he would, except return to judge the living and the dead. These are the last days, and the day is surely drawing near. The final judgment is imminent, and it will come as a thief on the night as, as a thief in the night. No one knows the day or the hour. Therefore, let no one think I can join the wicked and repent later, as if repentance ever came from your heart. Let no one think he is being slow in his coming. No, 
The reason he delays the judgment is so that you repent. That's what it says. That's what Peter says. It's so that you repent. So that you are not caught drunk, fornicating, proud, secure, hating another person, unreconciled. That is why he delays the day for you. He is not willing that any should perish, but all repent. Golfers don't see this. They think it's just a license for them to do whatever they want. And they win. In our eyes, they win. They're going to keep pushing for the chemical castration of children. They're winning. We haven't seen this since the days of Baal and Moloch. This is wickedness on the earth. And as in the days before of Noah, they were buying and selling and giving in marriage and mocked Noah and his sons building an ark for a hundred years. And suddenly, they were all destroyed with everything that they treasured on earth. And as in the days of Lot, when Sodom was prosperous and they had ease and did with their bodies whatever they pleased, and mocked Noah and said, Who made you to be judge over us? And were caught completely like somebody was robbed in the night when fire and brimstone came down from heaven, so it will be soon. It's going to happen. Wake up. Let us all wake up. Because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for the deeds done in our body whether they be good or bad. And on that day, everything will be fixed. As John says in Revelation, let him who is righteous be righteous still. Let him who is filthy be filthy still. There will be no last offered cup. There will be no time for repentance. There will be fear. And everyone who refused to bow the knee and say that Jesus is Lord during the day of grace will bend the knee because he will see above all power that he worshipped only one power above all kingdoms that he expected good from only one king above all rule and authority only one Lord Jesus Christ and at his name every knee shall bow people try to mock judgment you know, in Ecclesiastes, if you just use your reason, that's what Ecclesiastes is about. How much can I understand just using my understanding? And you see that the wicked aren't punished, and the good, the innocent, are often punished. What's the point? There's no justice. And reason doesn't give a solution, but it cries out for a judgment. How is he going to get away with it? And so people rush. They go to politics. They go to money. They go and try to get the power. But you must remember, dear sheep of the good shepherd, that there is only one, one man, who has all the power. Only one. And he is the one who says to his sheep, 
who says to those at his right, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now first, he says to the sheep, You know what the Holy Church is. It is the holy believers and lambs who hear the voice of their shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. So hear them now. He is the one who called you out of darkness. When you were dead in your sins and trespasses, he found you. Faint and weary, thou hast sought me. On the cross of suffering bought me. And he has clothed you with all of his righteousness that he won for you. And more about that righteousness in a little bit. He says, blessed of my father. That means the baptized. You become a child of God through faith and baptism. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. As many of us as believe in, as many of us as believe in Christ are the sons of God. For as many of us as have been baptized into Christ have put him on. He says, you are blessed by my father. And he says, inherit the kingdom of prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's what he says. Now, first of all, I don't have a lot. I have a lot of books. And I have ten kids. So, they're my heirs, but you're not going to get a lot, Anastasia. I'm sorry. Unless things change. But remember, God's word is our great heritage. But my children are heirs before they do anything. You don't become an heir of your parents because, like, it's not like you're born and your, your, your dad says, I don't know, it's not cute enough. I don't want to make him my heir. This is not how it goes. You don't do anything. Do you understand? You inherit it. Secondly, it was prepared from the foundation of the world. Now, when were you born? Probably after the foundation of the world, right? Now, if your works prepared this kingdom for you, then you must be God, but you're not. You know that you are a sinner in need of an inheritance that doesn't fade away, as all inheritances here do. Therefore, it is by grace you are saved. This grace, as Pastor Rockhill taught you yesterday, you students, it is God's undeserved love. It's his favor. How do you know what God thinks about you? You look to Christ, his son. How are you blessed by his father? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That is the blessing. And he is the one who earned that inheritance for you. You enter into the kingdom you enter into the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now. Just as you will on the last day. How? Well, you remember. The disciples were arguing. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus, as is his manner, changes the entire question. And he says, he puts a little child little child like you see running around here and he says this is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven and unless you convert and become like little children you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven whoever does not enter the kingdom of heaven like a little child will by no means enter 
Everybody wants the glory first, but that's not how it happens. You enter weak. You enter sinful. You enter repentant. You enter knowing that there is only one power, one authority, one kingdom that you need that rules over everything. And that is the kingdom that here is covered in the cross, is mocked by the world, is scoffed at, is ignored. But it is the only kingdom that when you seek it first, you have the righteousness that you see lacking in your soul and in your life. What is this righteousness? It is what your soul longs for when you see how you've made a mess of things. It's what your soul longs for when you have sinned against God. It is that goodness that is lacking in your life, which if you had it, you would have helped the one that you love. It's a lack of shame. Because if you had done righteousness, you would have nothing to be ashamed of. It is a hope of glory because if you have done righteousness, you know that things are going to be better. It is security and confidence. And it is given only to those who know that they do not have it by their own works. Prepared for you, inherit it. Inherit it. It's free. It's only given to faith to those who are born again by water and the Spirit. Prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This means that before you could do anything to please God, before you could do any righteous thing, God chose you, elected you, predestined you. And you've come to know this as you live the way that God, Jesus, taught you to live. Because when you know that there is only one power, which the scoffers don't recognize, but we know will be seen on that last day, and you know how this power is found as a baby in a manger, as a man spat on, beaten, and crucified, then you know that whatever you do to the least of Jesus' brothers, you do it to him. You know, people, they like fame and fortune and all this other stuff. This is how it is. If, if uh, the psalm says, if you do well for yourself, people will praise you. That's how it is. They flock to the mighty, the strong, and everything like that. But Jeremiah says, let the wealthy man not glory in his wealth. Let the mighty man not glory in his strength. These guys are tired, huh? How late did you guys stay up? Oh, we could sing a song or something like that. I don't mean to. Hey, can somebody pinch him? Thanks. You know, the Calvinists, it's all right, man. It's been a long weekend, huh? The Calvinists used to have a guy with a, a stick and a feather on one side and a knob on the other. And he'd tickle people's noses to wake them up during their three-hour sermons. And if a guy kept doing it, there's the knob, you know? That's how they did it. I'm glad we don't have that. You just got a brother who pinches you. Where was I? We know that this kingdom is covered in suffering. Right? Jesus only has the power. That's how it is. And we know that. You know that because he has forgiven you your sins. That he has had mercy on you when you had none. When the world couldn't help you at all. When your flesh was weak. And even though your spirit was willing, you couldn't give yourself certainty. Only Jesus could. And he gave it to you when you had nothing. And so, when you see the least of Jesus' brothers, you help them. It's hard to help them. 
The first example of the least of Jesus' brothers are the apostles. Every single one of them was persecuted and all but one were martyred, put to death for the sake of Christ. And they went out in the world and they were persecuted everywhere they went. And anybody who had heard this word, that God was merciful to sinners, and saw coming to him a dirty man running away from a Jew or a Roman, coming to the house and saying, Hey, I'm Thomas. I need your help. And then he said, No, I'm too afraid. i got a family to think about. You've got you to find some other place. And did not feed Jesus. And there were times like John when he was on the island of Patmos in exile. People wouldn't want to go there. It's hard to get there. And then everybody would know that you're associated with John. And what if you get thrown in prison? But they visited him there in prison. Just as many visited Paul in prison. Paul complains about how he had gone through hunger for, for days and nights and without eating and drinking. Harassed and abandoned by his own friends who were taken by the world. But then you have a Priscilla or a Lydia who don't care. And they feed and they clothe and they visit and they tend for Christ's little ones. Now I'm going to apply this to all sorts of things because you find Jesus' love for you as you live the life that he gave you to live. Otherwise, you're living the life of the world and you don't care about Jesus' love. You mothers were overwhelmed with all of your children. But the world says you don't need and that you should instead get a three-car garage in the suburbs or something like that. And you wake up at night and you can barely do it, it seems. And you feed that little one who believes in Jesus. As Jesus says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me. And you feed that little one when it cries. And everybody despises people abort because they cost money they stink sometimes. You have done it unto Jesus. And when your husband is down because he's been defeated and the world has beat him up and maybe he's failed and he doesn't feel like a man and you go and you make him a meal and you lie down next to him in your marriage bed and you comfort him you hold him and you tell him about Jesus. You're doing that for Jesus. And when your wife is overwhelmed and you want to get your back up, be bitter because you deserve respect. And instead, you humble yourself and you talk to your wife and listen to her cries, listen to her pain, clothe her with gentleness and love. You are doing that to Jesus. And when somebody in this congregation who has a bad attitude or just thinks about himself too much, is a Christian but just struggles a lot, does something wrong to you, and you go and you talk to him and you forgive him, you put a pass and you cover it, you don't talk about it to everybody, but you cover it up, you clothe him with honor when he had dishonored you, you're doing that to Jesus. You see, in all of these instances, it requires the person who shows this love to Jesus, to his little ones, to the least. It requires him to give himself up. 
to recognize that there is only one power, one king, one ruler. And the way that he conquers the world is with the preaching of the gospel of the forgiveness of sins. The way he conquered your heart was not by forcing you and saying, do this, do this, do this, do that. That just prepares your heart. It breaks it. Shows your weakness. No, the way that he rules in your heart, the way that his kingdom came to your heart is through the gospel. It's through the good news that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. It is the good news that whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me shall not come into judgment, but shall have the light of life. It is the good news that there is a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom is not the United States of America, just as it wasn't Rome or Babylon or the Soviet Union or China. That kingdom is a nation to which the baptized believers belong. And it is from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people, pulled out of darkness into a light that does not expose their sins, but shines on them with the grace and favor of God, washing every nook and cranny of your conscience, taking every single piece of shame and guilt away from you, clothing you perfectly, spotlessly, beautifully, honorably, gloriously with everything that Christ is and won for you and shows by his resurrection and will be seen by all men on that last day which is coming soon. And for you who are troubled and say, I can't, it's too hard. It's taking too long. I don't know if I can do this. Take heart and take courage because he is surely coming soon. He will help you bear your cross. And he will show you what to do in this short life, not heap up riches and honors and whatever. But look for the little ones. Look for the little ones. The ones whom the world despises and scoffs at. Where are the corpses? There the eagles will gather, Jesus says. And many people have lots of different, lots of different interpretations of this, but it means simply this. Where Christ, where the dead person is, where, where what is killed is, that's where we go. You guys have been taught a mark of the church is the pure pre the marks of the church, how you identify the church, is the pure preaching of the gospel and the right administration of the sacraments. It's a catechism answer. But Luther adds another one. And he says persecution. Persecution for righteousness, for Christ's sake. When you see people standing on the word of God and suffering for it, go there. Go there and find the little ones and love them. It doesn't earn you heaven. We, know, we already established that. But it shows you heaven. It shows you that heaven is full of nothing but love and mercy and the goodness of God. With no evil, no unrighteousness, no sadness. Only pure pleasure and joy. Because on the other hand, God, Jesus, who is the king, will put the goats on his left hand. The goats who are stronger and bully the sheep. The goats who do whatever they want, eat whatever they want, right? You ever seen a goat, right? And he says, you, he says, depart from me, you cursed, 
into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, what's interesting here is that heaven is prepared from the foundation of the world for you believers, but hell is prepared for the devil and his angels. God did not make hell for any single person on earth. Not for any human being. It was not prepared for them. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. But he sends people to hell. Yes, he does. Those who deny the existence of eternal punishment are those who have not considered the weight of sin. How serious it is to say to God, whatever. How serious it is to simply do whatever you want without thinking about the one who made you. That when you do so, in fact, you are not just ignoring God, but you show by your works that you ignore Christ's little ones. You don't care when the church is persecuted. You don't care when the little ones need mercy. It's not part of your life. If you do it, you do it to look good in the eyes of the world. Like Paul says, I can give all my money to the poor and still have not love. And that is a warning to all of us. If we have seen in our lives, if we have hardened our hearts to those who have hurt us, beware. Beware. That hatred and that anger comes from the devil himself, and there is a fire prepared for it. You who are holding a grudge against someone who has done you wrong, you are holding hell in your heart. Repent. Repent. Let us all repent. Let's not get tired of doing good. Doing good in this earth entails stooping down and seeing how you enter the kingdom of heaven as a little child. Today you visit Jesus. I'm not Jesus. I'm just a poor, sinful servant of his whom he commands to preach his word, and I have done that this morning. Every word that I have said, well, besides the ones I said to you, but, you know. But it is all true. Go search the scriptures. See whether it is true or not. You come here to visit Jesus, and you also come here to see the people, to see the least of Jesus' little ones. They're the ones who may be a pain in the neck, they're the ones that maybe you just, I don't know if I really like that person. Jesus does. So as we prepare for this last day that will come like a thief in the night, we consider what kind of life God wants us to live, what kind of holiness God wants for us. And we observe our lives according to the Ten Commandments. As I asked so many of you who came to communion, why do you want the Lord's Supper for the forgiveness of sins? Do you know you're a sinner? Do you know you need it? We examine our lives and we see that there is much that is not holy in us. Some of us at times can't see anything at all good. Don't despair. Instead, remember that the king who will tell you on the last day inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, that same king is here, ruling, ruling. This here is the most powerful place on earth right now. Here is the only power, the only authority, under which all authorities that you see flaunting and strutting around out there are put.
all things under his feet. And so, just as on the last day, every knee is going to bow, so you come up here and you practice kneeling at the name of Jesus. Because he is here not to condemn you, but to judge you as righteous. He is here to show you the body that bore the sins done in your body. He is here to put into your mouth the blood that cleanses your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. He is here to make you 100% certain that when you hear that trumpet and you see the heavens passing away and you see Jesus in a cloud as lightning goes from the east and the west with a multitude no one can number of angels, there will arise in your heart the greatest joy that you could ever imagine. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. You will look up because your redemption has come. You will be happy. All sorrow and sighing will flee away. Never again a regret. Never again a fear that you might stumble. Never again a fear that someone might do you wrong. Only Jesus. Only that power, that King of King, kings and Lord of lords. And you will be gathered together with those who are raised and with those who will remain who will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And you will look and you will see nothing but beauty and honor and goodness around you. You won't see deceit in another person's eyes. You won't be afraid that somebody might try to take something away from you because all things are yours and you all share it. And Christ is yours and you get to see him face to face. You won't even forget. You won't even, you won't even forget about pain and sin because there will be none. There will only be Jesus. There will only be that power and that glory which you taste today, the forgiveness of your sins. One of my favorite parts of the liturgy is we give thee thanks for thy great glory. We give thee thanks for thy great glory. This is the glory that the world doesn't know. They just walk by it. If people knew that this was the most powerful place on earth, then they'd all flock here. They don't, because they're looking for earthly glory. But you have been given. You say thank you for something that has been given to you. We give thee thanks for thy great glory. Why? Because when you kneel at this altar, when you go to that font, when you hear the words of your Lord Jesus forgiving you, you are glorified. You are clothed with the same majesty that will be revealed. And it will be revealed soon to all those who love the Lord's appearing. Can't wait to see you in heaven. <sighs> Amen.